Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. Special shout out to my friend Andy and Beth. Good morning, Andy and Beth, if you're tuning in today. It was an honor to have met you over the weekend, and may God bless you continually on your journey to wherever it is that God is bringing you to. Uh, what a wonderful couple that we had. You're just on my mind this morning as There are many things on my mind this morning that I want to talk about. Uh, Would ask you all to be praying for a dear sister in our ministry uh, who went through a pretty tough uh, season last night. She went through a tough evening, and I won't go into the details, but please keep uh, just the sisters at New Wine Ministry in prayer. And speaking of the sisters at New Wine Ministry, on Saturday at 2 p.m., This coming Saturday, April 3rd, Laquita Sizemore will be sharing her testimony, and she'll be sharing a word from the Lord with the Women of Substance meeting Saturday at 2 p.m., and uh, we're getting some flyers ready to go uh, to get out there for the local area. But if you're in this region, remember, invite two or three people to come with you to hear this woman's testimony. She's been a nurse for 37 years, an emergency uh, nurse, by the way, in times of emergency. I think she's got a, um, a message for people today, especially which has happened uh, recently, uh, an unfortunate situation that is being resolved as we speak. Um, but, you know, we need to be geared up and prepared, and we need to be watchful. Um, I don't know how much detail I want to get into today concerning the safety 
of the body of Christ, but I do believe God is a protector, and I do believe in his Passover angel to be an enemy to our enemies, an adversary to our adversaries, and uh, so much more that God is going to make sure that nothing happens to his people. Uh, He's got a prepared place, and I am confident that that Passover angel and all the angels of God are surrounding the elect of God, the ministers, the heirs of salvation, and um, nothing is going to stop us from getting where we need to be. And so let's continue to pray for that kind of protection. But uh, as we're waiting this morning for people to jump on board, want to say good morning. We've got an incredible uh, message. Uh, I call it an epiphany that God has given for our Bible study tonight and for people that will not be um, able to join us in person. Remember tonight on Facebook and YouTube, you could join us at the New Wine Ministry uh, Gathering Place, and we have a message. It's revelatory for the body of Christ. And I know in this particular broadcast, we are to be talking about the end times, the last days. Um, One of the things that we want to talk about today is the resurrection and whether or not you were made aware yesterday was the day of the third day. It was the third day of the feast of unleavened bread. That would have been the first fruits. And yesterday would have been the day going back 2000 years ago when Jesus had died on the cross. That would have been the day of his resurrection, the day he rose from death. And there is something, and if I get into it now, I'm going to ruin it, and I can't ruin it. You need to come to New Wine Ministries tonight to hear a message I believe is going to be an awakening message for the ecclesia, and it's a very powerful reality of what God is doing. It's no man-made mythical thing. It's just we need to become very cognizant of the fact of what time it is and what we should be expecting right now. We have a lot of prophetic things that have been shared, so you'll be able to join tonight on the Facebook at Omega Radio and YouTube and hear what the Lord is saying to the church. Hear what the Lord is saying to the ecclesia. It is a prophetic, absolutely amazing time we are living in right now. But again, we want to look around the world and see what's happening. One of the things I want to talk about, because yesterday would have been Resurrection Day, because we know the Passover was Saturday evening at sunset, And then we know that Sunday evening at sunset was the beginning of the second day. And then Monday evening at sunset would have been the third day. So yesterday, Tuesday, all day long until the sunset last night was the day of first fruits. And Jesus Christ, our first fruits, Jesus Christ, our Passover. And so in the economy of the feast that we are in right now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, First fruits will have begun. So today begins the fourth day. It actually began last night when the sun set. So all day today, we're in the fourth day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we are still feasting, but yesterday was significant because it marked the beginning of a 40-day period that you and I should be expecting some things, and we're going to talk more about that tonight. But what about the resurrection? What about the things that are going on in the world today? We, you know, we have allowed uh, the news media to just go on, okay? We, we've, we have refocused our position because of the feast days, getting focused on the kingdom, getting focused on the things that God is doing, um, and yet we live in a world where, you know, 
It's a volatile world. And the fact of the matter is that people are dying every single day. And within a 24-hour period of time, people around the world are leaving the planet. They are dying. The question is, where are they going? And if you were to die today, where will you be? What the Bible talks about, and it's something that's so beautiful for the whole world to know, the revelation of Scripture, is that there is a day called the Day of Resurrection. Now, we know in the church that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and that everybody that comes into contact with him has opportunity for life. Jesus Christ was the first of a new creation species that walked on this earth since the fall of Adam, and he came as a life-giving spirit. We know that Adam was made a living soul. But Jesus Christ came as a life-giving spirit. He is the resurrection. We read that in John chapter 11. When Lazarus has died, he told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus embodied within himself that resurrection life and power. Now, there is a day of resurrection for all the people that have died in this world from the beginning of Cain who was the first one that murdered Abel. So Abel was the first one that died, as we know it, in recorded history. Well, there have been good people, bad people dying since that time. And the Bible teaches us that there will be a day of resurrection life or a resurrection unto death. And I would refer, first of all, to Daniel chapter 12, And there's a lot of conversation in the Old Testament concerning the resurrection. But Daniel 12 is very explicit where we read these words in chapter 12 of Daniel, verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which stands for the children of your people, because this is Israeli-centric. But it goes on to say, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even at that same time. And at that time, so that time of trouble is what we know as Jacob's trouble. That is in the last days. We know it is the great tribulation. And we know it's not just to Israel, but we know it's a global great tribulation when you read the book of Revelation. Nonetheless, at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth. Now, that's definitely talking about dead people that are buried in the grave. And he says, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So, in the resurrection, there is an awakening, a raising up, a coming back to life again. And there are those that will go into everlasting life, and there will be those that go into everlasting shame and contempt. Now, I want to look at some other scripture in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. He talks about the resurrection as the worm that never dies. Okay, so let me just uh, be patient here with me for just a moment, and I want to get this on my strong concordance. Their worm 
never dies. All right. So what is this talking about? Uh, worm never. Let's see. So let's just go there to the worm. Now we go to let's do it. I guess it's in Mark 944. So Mark in the gospel of Mark. We'll start in verse 42, Mark 9:42, and let's read it this way. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And if your hand offends you, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed, enter into life maimed, than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So here Jesus is talking about entering into eternal life, cutting your hand off. It would be better to go into eternal life having lost your hand than to go into hell where the fire is never quenched and their worm never dies. Now, that idiom about the worm never dying is that area in the soul that has never been sanctified or cleansed, the demonic has never left, uh, the torment has always been there, even in this life, to a degree that's sedated by drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever you're going to try to overcome that with, money, power, whatever, but here there's an internal environment of the soul of some kind of demonic torment that is never gone. And yet in hell, there'll be no covering. There'll be no sex. There'll be no money, no power, no drugs, no alcohol. So the raw reality of a tormenting factor in the soul of a human being that never ends because they've never repented. They were not willing to cut off their hand or pluck their eye out. To, you know, to say, you know what, this is serious business. In other words, death is a reality, and we should never be toying around with, well, I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to heaven. Remember that the devils believe and they tremble, and remember that the majority of people that say they're saved are going to say, Lord, Lord, open unto me, and he will say, I never knew you. Many, that is the pluros, that is the majority of people that think they are saved and are actually not saved. And in the resurrection, there is no tomorrow to get it right. And I think this is very important for all creatures on this earth, God's creation, to realize that when death comes, a decision will be made. Once you're dead, there's nothing left you can do. Whatever state a person dies in, and I'm talking about the condition of the soul, therein will they be judged. And in Revelation, it tells us all about that. So the day of resurrection is not just a good day. It is also a day of awakening into shame and everlasting contempt. It is a day of waking up in hell. It is a day of waking up into the eternal fire that never is quenched. It is a day of moving into that place that Jesus taught the parable about the rich man and the poor man. They both died. The poor man was in Abraham's bosom. The rich man was in hell, and he was begging Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch his tongue because he was in a place of torment. Well, that is a reality. That is an afterlife experience. Now, in the resurrection, there will be an eternal lake of fire. There will be eternal life. 
And what we need to be figuring out right now in our lives is where will we be if we died today? If we died today. I heard of a man that was so tormented that while he was trying to assault a woman, he was both violent and he was both weeping and crying uncontrollably. This is a tormented soul. A man's soul was tormented. And while he was trying to exact punishment upon somebody for no good reason at all, for his own lustful pleasures, well, while he was trying to attempt this while being drunk, he again was vexed sorely with torment, weeping uncontrollably, and then becoming violent, and then crying again. I've seen this in people throughout my life. I've watched this happen, this torment. Well, that torment will go on forever but there will be no tomorrow to get rid of it. And this is serious business. So if there is a worm in your life and you have not dealt with that worm in your life, I'm telling you today, you better, I better, we better deal with whatever worm, which is a demonic presence in our life that produces torment in our soul. And my God, folks, you better look to Jesus Christ and nobody else on this earth to deal with that issue. Whatever that worm is, you know, and I look at the word worm here, their worm dieth not. That worm is the scolakes, and that literally means something that preys upon dead bodies. This is like a maggot. The maggots never die. A person's body, when it goes into the dust, it's eaten by maggots, right? Well, this Scolex is also it's a grub, it's a maggot or earthworm, and it goes a little bit deeper in the definition as to what that really is talking about. And, <clears throat> but let's just suffice it to say that this is the kind which preys upon dead bodies, go a little bit de- deeper into the definition. Their punishment after death will never cease, symbolizing perhaps the loathsomeness of the penalty. So, You don't want to have the eternal penalty on your life because you did not exact the redemptive power of Jesus Christ on the cross by dealing with that worm. You kept it alive. And if you're keeping something alive in your spirit, or if I'm keeping something alive in my spirit that is offensive to God, and you're allowing that to go on and you die, you are a candidate for eternal death. Not just I go to church, I'm the pastor, you know, I'm the deacon, and I go to church and I go through the motions. We're talking about what's going on in our souls. And when you keep allow something to stay alive that is offensive to God, he doesn't look at the outward appearance of anybody. God is always dealing with the internal parts. So, yes, it's fascinating to know that war is on the horizon, judgment's coming upon the earth. But really, all of that should quicken you and I to a reality of what is the condition of my soul. Are you keeping alive your lust? Are you keeping alive things of your past? Are you keeping alive on, uh, forbidden desires? Are, what are you doing in your soul? Because that's where we're going to be judged. Not our external performance or what we say out loud about Jesus, but what Jesus has done in your life and done in my life to deal with the demonic activity with that, 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 that condition of the soul, the torment that produces torment. So this is serious business, in my opinion, 
And it's not just my opinion. I believe it's the word of God. You know, today you could fool everybody. You could go to church, and we've seen it happen. People out there prophesying, pastors, they're, they're all this, but they have not worked out their salvation to get rid of the worm in their lives. Get rid of that death. Get rid of that torment. Get rid of that sin in your life. And it is very important. I don't care how intelligent you are. I'm not intelligent at all except for whatever God gives me. Uh, and maybe you feel the same way about yourself, but I'm, what I'm saying is knowledge always puffs up. It doesn't matter how much we know about stuff, even what we're talking about right now. It doesn't matter how much we talk about it, know about it. It's what we do with the knowledge that gives us the wisdom. And wisdom says, this is the knowledge. You need to get this thing worked out in your soul. You need to get sanctified. You need to go beyond justification into sanctification, and you need to allow that sanctification to produce and bring you to glorification. Christ in you, the hope of glory, picked up your cross, put off the old man. You put on the new man, creating true righteousness and holiness. All right, so we have a lot of work to do, and it's not outside of ourselves. Quite frankly, it's the inside job that needs to be done. And it cannot be a psychological work to try to soothe the conscience because that doesn't deal with the worm. You can psychologically put yourself in a state of mind to ignore what's going on or to live beyond it, but if it's there, it needs to be dealt with. What is it that is going on at the core of your existence? What's going on at the core of my existence? What's happening at the deep you know, hard drive of our computation, you know, what is it that's going on down there? What's lurking? And if we ignore it, it's going to continue to take place. And then if we were to die today, I'm telling you, that will show up. It doesn't matter how we say we believe in Jesus. Remember, believing in Jesus provokes repentance and confession of our sin. But if we allow the demonic thinking, and we allow the sin that we're supposedly confessing to continue on in our soul realm, and, we look, and we're like the man that was in uh, Jericho, that he took the gold wedge and the, and the purple garment, and he buried it, and every night he unburied it and looked at it. You know, that's what sin is in our heart. When we keep burying it, but then we like to look at it because we get pleasure from it, I'm telling you, if you die in that condition, that is going to show up before the judgment seat. You may wind up in hell thinking you were born again. You may wind up in the, the fires of hell because you're not going to fool God. None of us are. And what is required is that blood of Jesus Christ so absolutely cleansing our conscience from the demonic that's going on. You can't just learn to live with it. You don't learn to live with death. You don't learn to live with maggots. You don't learn to live with a worm. You don't learn to live with your sin. The gospel is all about confessing sin, and if need be, publicly, so that there could be an inner work of cleansing and sanctification of that sin so your conscience is genuinely clear. Folks, we all could put on religion. We all could become Pentecostal. We all can become so flare, you know, it'd be a, you know, flaring and, and, and flamboyant and, and, and shake and talk and tongues and blah, blah, blah. But that's not the real issue. The real issue 
is if you die today or if I die today, what is the condition of my soul and what have we been doing with the time that we have on earth to work it out? If we're living with it, something's wrong. If we're burying it, something's wrong. If we're protecting it, something's wrong. That is not confession. That is not repentance. It may be a critical attitude that you have, maybe slander, maybe gossip, maybe jealousy or envy or pride, maybe anger, maybe wrath, maybe lust, whatever it is, you and I cannot, we were not called to believe in Jesus and then bury these things, hide these things, protect these things, cover these things. No, the light of the glorious gospel is to shine in our hearts convicting us, convincing us that this is sinful and it needs to be confessed and repented of and get out. The blood of the lamb cleanses us from our sin. I know it's basic. I know it's elementary. But if you died today, have you, have you taken the time to really examine what's going on at the hard drive of your life? I've told the story, and I had the pleasure to tell the story again the other day about being on the Teton Mountains and how God took me to the side of a mountain and gave me a a, a decision of life and death. But it was there on the side of that mountain when I knew I was going to die that out of my belly came the words, I am corrupt and defiled. Now, I wasn't watching pornography. I wasn't doing anything weird. I wasn't sinning. I was a pastor, a father, a husband. But I was something was wrong at 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 the hard drive. Way down inside and for me, it was a father wound. And the father wound was corrupting the purpose of God in my life. And I was carrying that father wound, and it produced anger, and it produced all kinds of paralysis in my life. It affected my relationships, because anytime father conversations came up, something happened to me. But I never dealt with it until God brought me to the side of the mountain that day and said, listen, I'm offended at you, Mr. Xavier. I'm offended because I've been a good daddy, but you are carrying this thing with your natural dad, and I cannot do in your life what I want to get done. So we're going to choose today, are you going to live or die? Because you could die on this mountain. And I made a wise decision. I said, God, I repent. I knew I was corrupt. I knew I was defiled. But where was that corruption and defilement? It was on the hard drive. It was down in my subconscious. I knew it was there, but I never dealt with it. Thought I had. I thought I confessed my father when I forgive my dad. I love my dad. I went through the motions, but I never really dealt with the issue. And that's why every time it came up, I had a response. It was always a negative response. So you have to ask yourself, are you dealing with, are you responding to the things in your soul that are not right before God? They are a trouble to you. Beware the worm. Beware the worm. Resurrection is about resurrecting into life or death. And once that happens, there is no fixing the problem. There's no evidence anywhere of fixing the problem. Now, the man that Jesus talked about that went into hell and he was begging Lazarus to dip. I mean, he was like, please help. He was in torments, but there was a chasm between them. Was he repenting? Never once in the story does he say, dear God, forgive me for what I did. It seems like there's no repentance 
in the afterlife. The only time of repentance is now. And by the way, if you're working on the issue, praise God. If you die working on the issue, I believe the great judge of the universe sees and judges the intent of the heart. But if you're or I are playing games with that deep-rooted sin that we're burying, protecting, hiding, and covering, man, God sees that. And it's not going to be a good day in the resurrection. And God forbid we wake up in everlasting shame and contempt. That's why at New Wine Ministries, we're doing everything we can to deal with guilt, shame, and condemnation and reproach to allow the blood of Christ to roll that off of our hearts, souls, minds, because our fellowship is filled with people that have been in places. Bottom line, we've all been involved in a lot of junk before we got born again, before we got saved, but being saved or justified freely by the blood of Christ and by the grace of God, there's a process called sanctification. And that sanctification is necessary for glorification. You cannot go from justification to glorification. It doesn't work that way. You have to go through the process of sanctifying, getting rid of before you could ever become that glorified being that God is calling you to be. The age-old question, if you died today, have you had a glimmer? Has there been an epiphany to your mind? There's something wrong in my heart. There's something down there. And I'm kind of aware of it. You know, I'm very much aware of everything else out here in my conscious world. But deep down inside, there's something there at work, and it's not comfortable, so I really don't want to deal with it. I really don't want to dive into that stench of the filth of my own inward corruption, so I think I'll just cover it up with religion. I'll cover it up with my title. I'll cover it up with my calling. I'll cover it up with all that thing, being a Christian, but I really don't want to deal with that. I'm telling you. That is the most dangerous thing any one of us could do. God is fully aware of the stench in our lives. He loved us while we were sinners and while we are enemies. He loves us. We're filthy. We're actually polluted, defiled, depraved, corrupt, Call it whatever you want, the inner side of humanity, the core. Paul the Apostle said in the Greek, he basically said in Romans chapter 7, Woe, wretched man that I am. In other words, that word wretched, when you search it out, it means rotten to the core. Paul knew, even with his religion of Judaism, he was rotten at the core of his existence. And that word rotten means a filthy stink. You don't want to deal with your filthy stink. But we have to. We have to deal with it. That atoning blood was not so we could live in the filthy stink and let it keep going on. It was designed to enter in to the subconscious. The work of Christ is to take that blood to the altar, the, the core of who we are, and atone that blood and deal with that demonic infestation that inhabits that area of sin 
that is in the whole human race. There's no one good. No, not one. Some people think, well, I didn't have the filthy stench of their sin. So what? You're still a sinner. And the core of your existence is a filthy stench. Regardless, if you're a good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody's core is rotten. The Apostle Paul wasn't a drug addict, a pimp, an alcoholic. He wasn't into pornography. Paul the Apostle grew up in the realm of Judaism to such a degree. He was the highest elevated person in in religion. Zealous for the law of God. But when he saw the other part, he said, you know, I count it dung that I may win Christ. None of that made any difference because he knew he was rotten to the core. Have you come to that conclusion yet in your life? That your sin nature that you were born with, that sin nature, not about what you did. Oh, I committed sin. I committed crime. I did this. I did that. I did this. No, no, no. That's an extension of your sin nature. Your sin nature at the root is a defilement. It is a disgusting reality to the eyes of a holy God. And yet God came down to this earth in our human condition and died for us and took our sin upon himself, the sin nature of man. I don't hear preachers preaching the overcoming message against the sin nature. They always coddle it. They always tell everybody, well, you're always going to be a sinner. That's blasphemy, according to this word of God. It's blasphemy. It's a denial of the work of Christ to assume what you know what that means. It's blasphemy. So my point today is the resurrection It's going to happen one way or another for all of us. And God forbid that you or I will be resurrected into shame and everlasting contempt. God forbid it with what we know. And the only thing is is that we would never have taken what we know and put it to work to produce the fruit of our true salvation. How aware are you of your core? What's going on down there? What is your frustration? What is motivating you to anger? What is it? You got to identify it and deal with it. You have to deal with it. Well, I don't curse and I don't smoke and I don't drink, use drugs and I'm not an alcoholic and I'm not watching pornography and I don't commit adultery. I don't do any of that. I'm a religious Joe, man. Find me in church going shana mana mariandoroboshana. Well, what does that have to do with anything? It's the people that are more aware that they're wretched, they're more aware that they are like the centurion. I'm not worthy for you to come under my house. I know my condition are better off than people that are the holy Joes. Well, I don't do this. I don't do that. I, I criticize those people. Oh, they were smoking, gossiping, slander. Ooh, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm glad I'm not like them. Come on. Rotten, filthy to the core. 
are you and I in our human nature, just being born into it. We are defiled creatures. But Christ wants to go into that and deal with it. And then everything else will work itself out. You get rid of that old, human, filthy, rotten nature through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, you're not going to act out of that nature anymore. A new nature is given to us. And out of the new nature comes what Jesus did. I love serving my father. I love doing what pleases him. It's not an obligation. Oh, I'm holding on, brother. I'm just holding on. My lower nature is really, really, really strong, and I'm just holding on. No, no, no. It gets better than that. Now, do I admit in Galatians 5 that there's a war between the flesh and the spirit? Heck yeah. But nobody said you had to lose the war. In fact, it says if you live out of the flesh, you're dead. You're not going into the kingdom of heaven. Actually, in Galatians, it says don't be deceived. Look at this. I mean, Galatians chapter 5, everybody says, yeah, well, there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. Yeah, there's a war. But you're supposed to win the war, not lose it. So in Galatians 5, he says what? Now, the works, I'm in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, he shall reap. So then he tells us the fruit of the Spirit. So, yes, the flesh and the, and the Spirit are at war, but it's always about who we yield to. Am I going to yield to my flesh or am I going to yield to the spirit? Well, that's the only real decision. But if I'm allowing to incubate in my core human nature, Adamic sin nature, corruption, defilement, depravity, at the root, at the core of who I am, if I allow that to go on, all I'm saying is that I've, I've, my, my faith in Christ is an outward one. It's conscience. But I've never allowed the power of God to enter into the depth of my being and burst the bonds and destroy the corruption. In other words, you are dead to sin but alive to God. Romans chapter 6 is one of the greatest victory statements ever made for human beings that follow Christ. Because there it declares that you are no longer a slave to sin. It's a powerful reality of what we're talking about today. So what is, what's the point again? Resurrection, it's going to happen. You know, you and I who are truly born again, we've been resurrected from a kind of death. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but Jesus Christ has made us alive. In other words, we have become aware of what is right now. And our job, because we know what is right, is to confess and repent of everything inside of us that's not clean, it's not holy, it's not right, and that's every bit of our human nature. Can you show me a scripture, please, two or three, to establish a point 
Can you show me two or three scriptures that God said in the new covenant, even though Jesus Christ went to the cross, shed his blood, gave us the power of the Holy Spirit, can you show me two or three scriptures that says you will always be a sinner, you cannot deal with your human nature, you'll always have the DNA of Adam. Can you show me that, please? I know logically it makes sense to the sense man, to the soul man, but we're talking about becoming spiritual men and women. Listen, all I'm saying is that there's something lurking dark, deep inside. And you and I must go down there, let the Holy Spirit be a lamp, let the word of God be a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And let us go down with the Holy Ghost, with the torchlight, saying, let's go find the monsters. Let's go find the demons. Let's go in there and, and, and see it. And, 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 you, and when you go down there, what you're going to find is it stinks. It's septic. It's toxic human nature. But what do we do when we see it? I carry with me the blood of Jesus Christ. I carry with me the knowledge that the cross conquers this. Not me. I can't do it. I carry with me the knowledge as the Holy Spirit's walking me through the corruption in my life that not only do these things exist, but I can deal with them through what Christ has done, and I'm supposed to deal with it. Think about it. What a glorious salvation through the cross of Christ, through the shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God. And yet, we don't apply that very power to the area that most needs it. Why? Because that's probably where in that dark region of the soul, in that buried place, in that demonic place, it's where the enemy inhabits, sucking the very life out of us, death at work in us while we're claiming to be alive. So God has the keys of hell and death. Jesus has the power over hell, and Jesus has the power over death. And that hell and that death that is at the core of our existence, Christ comes to set us free from it and to bring us out into a heavenly experience. If any man or woman be in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I could go on with scripture after scripture after scripture that declares our freedom and liberty from the power of sin in our lives. And that it doesn't have to stay there and incubate and be alive and, and at work in us. No, that's the unruly worm of death. And Jesus said it would be better to cut your hand off than to let that worm exist. It would be better to pluck your finger. So we go back to that scripture again in Mark 9.44 or Mark 9.45. And if your foot offends you, cut it off. Somebody said, why would your foot offend you? Because it guides you. It, it, you walk in unholy paths. Okay, you go into the wrong place. So if your foot offends you, cut it off. It is better for you to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye offends you, how does your eye offend you? It's, what, it's, it's the eye gate. It's what you're looking at. 
if you're if you have a wandering eye, a roaming eye, if you're looking at women or you're looking at men or you're looking at pornography or you're looking at godless things and you're and you're and you have a problem with your eyes, he said, if your eye offend you, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. Jesus said, well, if he who looks upon a woman and lusts after her, he's committed adultery. So that's an issue for men to work out. Don't look at women. It's an eye issue. So it's better to pluck it out. Stick your finger right in that socket and rip it out. Tell your eye, I will rip you out of my socket. You're not taking me to hell. It'd be better to do that than to go into hell where what? Having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where your worm dies not. And the fire is not quenched. Resurrection is coming. What we have done in this life, according to the word of God, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, that's why my wife, Patricia Joy, for nearly 40 years has been anointed by God in the deliverance ministry to help people that want help to get not to their external branches, but get to the root of their problems. People need that. They're running to psychologists, paying them hundreds of dollars, psychologically fix my brain when the psychologist needs a psychologist. Come on. So, or you go to the psychiatrist, they put you on drugs, right? Psychologists cannot fix a spiritual problem. We, God has given to the church the ministry of counsel of the Holy Spirit. But a lot of people don't want counsel for their dark region. They just want to be told how to live a happy life up here. But if the root is not being dealt with and cleansed, it's always going to produce. You're wasting your time with your branch issues. Get to the root, and then you'll deal with the fruit. What is the root? Filthy human nature, demonically inspired to the degree that the Apostle Paul said, you were the children of of your father, the devil. If we don't deal with the root, what a waste of time. Branches, branches. You'll be going to deliverance your whole life. You deal with the root, and you'll start to produce good fruit. You won't need to go to deliverance anymore. But you know what I find? Most people don't want to deal with the nasty reality of what they are as a human being without the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Now, did Jesus purchase you and I in the condition we're in, filthy, corrupt? Yes. We are saved by grace through faith. And while we were enemies, he died for us. So yes, we're purchased possessions. But there's a greater redemption for the purchased possession. In other words, in Ephesians 1, there's the redeemed, verse 7, 1, 7 of Ephesians, we're the redeemed of the Lord. But then there's a greater redemption of the redeemed in verse 14. And then in chapter 4, verse 30 of Ephesians, the day of redemption, which is the day of loosening, releasing, melting, breaking. Now, you say, well, I don't want to go to a deliverance minister. Most people that have demonic issues at their core so deep they normally can't look you in the eye if you're in that place of holiness and they don't ever ask for deliverance 
I know people that don't come saying, I need help. Why do you need help? I saw my core, and it's so filthy and rank and disgusting, and I'm, and I'm driven, and I'm burying it, and I'm hiding it, and I don't want to die with it in me. They don't do that. I can't remember the last time somebody begged for deliverance. Why? Because that thing inside of them, whether they believe it or admit it or not, they want it. They like it. And that is where people are going to be judged by God, not the external facade of Jesus saved me by grace. Yeah, he did that for anybody. But the purpose was to bring a sanctification. So to produce salvation, a new creation. Oh, yeah, I know people everywhere. They could talk up a storm about the things of God. But inside of them, they are so corrupt, so filthy, so unholy, so ungodly at their core, not in their conversation, but they never ask for help. What is that? Embarrassment? Well, that's pride. What is that? So my purpose in this broadcast is to tell you your day as mine of accountability is coming, and it's going to be in the resurrection. And if you die today, in whatever state you're in, that's where you're going to be judged. Now, we're going to stay dead until the resurrection day comes. And remember, in resurrection day, there'll be some will resurrect into everlasting life, some into everlasting shame and contempt. But it's going to be based upon what we entered into death with. Man, I'd rather be the poorest man on this planet thinking of the things of this world I'd rather be a whole, I would rather have nothing but to have a clean heart, to have my core cleansed, to have my root cleansed. And, you know, you could ask, how do you do that? I don't know. I know one way, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He took it away. Is that something our faith is going to have to take and take that faith and that knowledge down inside and say, listen, I don't want the altar of my heart to be stained with a stench of filth anymore. I want my heart to be pure and holy and clean and bright and full of life and energy. I don't want corruption in my soul. Every day I have to work it out and guard myself and put on the armor. I get all that. But what's the point of doing that if the core is corrupt? What's the point? In other words, I believe the gospel does not deal with external things, outward things. I believe the gospel was intended to get into your life all the way down there to undo that affliction, to break that curse of Adam, to destroy the sin nature. Well, God plants a new nature inside of us on this side of eternity, and we start living out of it. And there's a war, but you can always yield to the victory. You do not have to yield to the flesh. And if you do, or I do, we will die. Romans 8, Galatians 5, it's everywhere. There's no provision For the flesh, Romans 13, make no provision for the flesh. Put on Christ. 
And yet elders and pastors and prophets and apostles, and they're not dealing with their human nature. They're still angry. They're miffed. They're cranky. Where's that coming from? I don't see the fruit of the Spirit as cranky. Agitated, irritated, annoyed, sensitive. Where's that come from? That's from hell. That's from the old nature, human nature, flesh. And yet people live in it. They don't even know that their personalities are so fleshly. But nobody's telling them because they're not going to the right place. All they're going to church for is to be told how good life could be. But nobody's dealing with the real issue of what it means to be born again. We don't want to hold each other accountable anymore because if you do that, you're controlling, you know. Baloney. Man, we need accountability in our lives. We need to be looked into. We need to be asked the questions. How are you at your core? Come on. Anyways, I'm not yelling at anybody. I promise you that. It, it, I, I almost sense a, a reaching out to try to shake something and say, hey, death. I remember just had a thing of Carl Malden in that Pollyanna. Death comes suddenly. And it does. It really does come suddenly. But when you die, if you die. Now, we want to be alive and remaining at the coming of the Lord. I get that. Change in a moment. The two Are you cleansing your altar? Am I cleansing the altar? Are we washing thoroughly? Are we cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God? Are we doing that? 2 Corinthians 7.1 says to do it. 2 Timothy 2.20, if we therefore purge ourselves from the earthly corrupt things, then we will be a vessel meet for the master's use prepared unto every good work. But who's cleansing at the core? Is there unforgiveness? Is there bitterness? Is there regret? Is there resentment? All you have to do is look at people, man, and you could see what's going on in their lives. You could tell when somebody's working it out. Whew, man, I'm not there yet, but I'm going for it. And now this knowledge, they go, wow, I needed to hear this because now I'm going to take the power of Jesus Christ, the power of his blood, and the power of his cross, and I'm going to bring it all the way down there to the nasty place, and I'm going to ask it to explode and burst and cleanse and heal and restore and produce a new root system. Oh, born again. Come on. Anyways, it's the time of the resurrection, and um, Jesus, at this point, I've got to preserve some of this for Bible study tonight, but I want to give you a little hint, a little foretaste. Do you know that after Jesus died and rose on the third day, which was all day yesterday, he started appearing to people, the two men on the road to Emmaus? Remember, to the disciples. Remember, he started appearing everywhere. And then, do you know, in the book of Acts, we're told that he was on earth after his resurrection for 40 days, speaking to the disciples of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 
40 days he was on earth appearing. We're in the season where Jesus, I got to save it for tonight. Oh, I'm not afraid to say it. I believe. Can you imagine being a Bible study and all of a sudden Jesus shows up? Just like he did with his disciples. They were gathered together and he showed up. What if he showed up in your living room, your church building? What would he see? What would he say? What would we be like? Again, I'll tell you, one of the great scenes in the movie called Risen, if you haven't seen Risen yet, see it. There's a scene where the Roman centurion who saw Jesus die on that cross, saw him and he was just saw him dead, where he goes to arrest the disciples and there when he breaks down the door is Jesus sitting with them and he looks right at him. And the guy is blown away. Do we not desire Jesus Christ to come and appear in our midst? What would it do to the church? I will never deny that Jesus Christ can make an epiphany, an appearing. He can manifest. I know the scripture says one time in the book of Acts that the heavens must receive him until the times of restitution of all things. Well, maybe we're in the times of restitution of all things. Maybe the time has come, the kairos of God. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we must allow for our fellowship to become a union that is really beautiful in Jesus Christ so that we can be gathering in our home fellowships, in our buildings, wherever it is that God's going to bring us to, that we need to accomplish. And I'll talk to you more about it tomorrow. I've simply run out of time today. Hey, the resurrection is coming It's either life or death. Where are you going? Well, I believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Let's really get cleaned up. It's the feast of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread speaks of getting the hypocrisy, the malice, the insincerity out of us. Leaven represents sin. This is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We celebrate it for a moment, looking back, but it should be our day-to-day reality. But remember today, Jesus died for you. He loves you in spite of your condition, but start working it out with more fervency. Deal with the roots in your life. Don't be afraid. Jesus will guide you to the right place to get the help you need. He is the right place, but go for it. Go for it. Amen? All right. Well, that's it for me. Praise the Lord. Tonight, you can watch us on Facebook. You're not going to want to miss that meeting tonight, 7 o'clock Central Standard Time. Right now on Omega Radio, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a roundtable discussion is happening with Patricia Joy Xavier. You don't want to miss it. It's going to help you get to the root. Till we meet again, I'm Pastor Vince. Shalom. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow.